Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Feeling Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me, with his proton pack, ready to go, is my best friend and co-host Aaron. Bustin' makes me feel good. Mm. Ray Parker Jr., you are not, but I love the try. Sounds good. Let's go. (laughs) This week, we are talking about Ghostbusters Afterlife, the delayed and distant sequel to the original 1984 property. I've been looking forward to seeing this, as well as our conversation on it. So without further ado, let's get into it. This is your official spoiler alert, as we will be talking about the movie in detail. So if you haven't seen it, Get to the theater, check it out, and then come back and join our conversation as per usual. That being said, let's get going. Aaron, I was a big fan of the original property, but I know that you were kind of meh on it. Uh, Did this feel like more of the same as far as a sequel, or did it have a fresh quality to it? Well, yes, I was very meh, and I'll address that real quick first. So I actually saw a tweet today. And I was very, very excited because someone else had said the same thing that I felt when I watched it. And I can't remember how much I brought this up in the past on our FF Plus episode with Coles, but essentially I had not rewatched Ghostbusters in two decades or whatever. This is not a rewatchable for me. And so, you know, I remembered vaguely the plot and that was it. I don't remember any of the details. And, I, and like so many movies, Patrick, when we watch these, we find there's such a distinct difference in watching something with 18 year old eyes, watching something with 25 or 30 year old newlywed with a, you know, baby eyes, and then watching something, you know, with complete adult eyes. And in my case, you know, well, in both of our cases, we're over the hill. So it's a lot different now. So anyway, going back to this, right. And, and cultural context as well is a huge factor, I think. So when I rewatched Ghostbusters, I was extremely put off right away by Vinkman and by Bill Murray's character. Throughout the film, he is essentially a sexual harasser. He is, I think you told me at one point, you said he's kind of, somebody did. He said he's kind of like Bond, but not cool. Was that you? I think that was you. And and I loved that. Yeah, that was a great way of describing him. Bill Murray himself, lovable guy, right? We we enjoy his comedy. And even in Ghostbusters 1, like, his line delivery, his physical performance, like, those things are great. But the character as it's written was rubbing me so wrong. I did not like it at all. It gave me the creep factor. And it really, I think, derailed my ability to enjoy that film. I also thought it got just extremely kind of cheesy and silly at the end in a way that I was not remembering. Like I thought there was a lot more ghost busting and there wasn't as much as I remembered. So there were, there were some elements. So yeah, I I liked it. Like my son and I had fun. I was showing him, but I I was met in the fact that I didn't love it. Ghostbusters two, I don't care for. I think it's a step down as well. And blah. So I was not hyped for this. I haven't thought about it at all. In fact, we threw it on the schedule because I knew you loved it and I hadn't watched any trailers and I was going into this with an open mind. I was going to this hopeful, Patrick, because I wanted this to be a reboot and I was excited about the opportunity. I thought, look, if you're going to take this property, which I truly believe has one of the coolest concepts we've ever had for like a fantasy type sci-fi-ish, like, you know, kid adjacent horror type of universe, like it's so neat it's ripe for something to be rebooted and brought into the modern day. Whereas many of these properties, and I would completely be the opposite and say, please stop messing with the things that we love. I think this one, there's a lot of room for improvement and, you know, building on what they have that is is established. And so I was excited in that regard because I was hopeful and and I knew that the potential existed. And, I thought that in terms of that freshness, there's a lot of it here. And a lot of that potential that I was hoping for is realized in this reboot. It does so much of the the 
things that I wanted to see from a modernized version. It's got modern kids dealing with the Ghostbuster technology and trying to figure out what is going on and trying to understand this new world where these, these ghosts exist and they've never interacted with them before. And mostly the dialogue pattern. I thought the freshness of the dialogue, it just really worked for me. The script is snappy. I laughed out loud more in this movie than I have in any other film as a whole, I think, all year long. I, I was just constantly chuckling in the theater. It, it was a hoot. I, it was my kind, personal kind of sarcastic humor. And I thought that because McKenna Grace was just knocking it out of the park with this kind of deadpan nerdy girl, very smart, condescending, but not sounding condescending, kind of like almost like she's not intentionally condescending. It's like she's just being honest, but it comes it can come off condescending because you're kind of embarrassed that she's smarter than you feeling. Like there's so so much of the way that she delivered things was hilarious. The fact that there's a character called Podcast, I mean, I thought Logan Kim was like the second best highlight of this movie for me. I, he's wow. hilarious. I thought he was the second coming of Aaron Wyatt. I'm going to start calling you podcast if you like. I, I would love it, man. <laughs> he he cracked me up, right? I think I could resonate, obviously, with yeah. this guy. I mean, just every time he would be like in the middle of something crazy happening and you just see him like with a mic and he'd be like, no, I have to capture this. But it also resonated with me because, you know, I think that's where the freshness comes in. Culturally, if you're going to have Ghostbusters existing in our world as kids, they're going to deal with things that kids deal with. And the world wants to document everything. Everything's got to go online and social media. And this was kind of a way of you know, playing at that. So I thought that those pieces of it were just really good. Uh, you know, and I think when you ask the way you ask the question, we started all this as we said, you know, does it feel like more of the same or did it have a fresh quality? And the answer is yes, it's both because it does have a lot more of the same specifically though, the more of the same, and we'll talk about it in detail is the story. It's not, to me, it's not the feeling of the movie. And that's why I liked it more than I didn't. And I really enjoyed it. It's because I felt like the feeling of the movie, the tone overall of the film was fresh and new and it worked for me. It had that Stranger Things vibe. I enjoyed that. The part that to me is more of the same is just the the plot, I should say, the specific beats of the plot. And I'll talk in depth about that when we get there. But, you know, so your expectations were obviously, I don't know where your expectations were, but you were your hopes were probably way higher than even mine were. But did it work for you? Well, I, I was distant on the expectations because two things. One, this is a property that is a direct sequel to a 1984 movie. And I say direct in that we really ignore Ghostbusters 2 in the 2016 reboot, which is fine. So for me, I think you have to kind of separate it from its predecessor. Not only because of what you said, you've got 1984 comedy in the form of Bill Murray that exists probably in a classic state in 1984 and still works for me because I do see him as a James Bond without the panache, without the suaveness. Whereas in a James Bond movie, we let that work for us because that's who James Bond is. In Ghostbusters, I can see how that's a turnoff. It's obviously not for me because I like the humor. I, I love the the trio of characters that we get early on and then we get winston after that coming in as the fourth so for me the original ghostbusters has a lot more to offer in terms of being not only a love letter to the city of new york but at the time it felt really really fresh for its day the second one i enjoy because of the fact that it exists in that world it's not nearly as superior as its predecessor but it still has a lot of fun with it. It definitely feels like a cash grab, and that's fine with me. I'm okay admitting that that's what it is. But there are things about the original that you definitely have in this new one, and I think it's because of the success, the value, all the things that the original brings to the table that we get this extension. What I think is really cool is the fact that it creates a logical leap to this new story, where you have a connection with an original Ghostbuster. It doesn't feel like this piece of 
history, this artifact has been discovered by these smart kids, and now they have to figure out how it works. We've got Hale Ramis' character as the linchpin for all of this in a way that allows us to say, okay, that's what we're connected to. That's who we're actually kind of keeping in touch with and staying with. So for me, I like that. It did have flavors of how The Force Awakens made me feel about the original Star Wars. You and I have talked about this a little bit offline, but I wanted to go ahead and bring this up because that's how I felt leaving the theater. We have essentially the same story. We have the same story beats. We have the same characters, essentially, in terms of like antagonists. And so when I watch The Force Awakens and I see it as essentially a rehash of A New Hope with new characters, and I can forgive that, then I can do the same thing for Ghostbusters, which tells me that that's okay. Because what I think The Force Awakens does for a new generation of Star Wars fans, Ghostbusters Afterlife has the potential to do for a new series of fans in the Ghostbusting universe. Now, whether that's going to be something that happens, we can discuss later. But I wanted to at least acknowledge the fact that it's not an original story. It's a familiar story that has updated components that are a lot of fun to experience. And you mentioned the screenwriting. I'm like you. I don't think I've laughed as hard in the theater. And this was a 9.30 p.m. feature, Aaron. We're old. You mentioned that. This would have been. <laughs> this was going to be difficult for me to get through in general. I yawned several times. But it was not because the movie was boring. I mean, it's a fantastic screenplay. And I think it really does capture what the original property brought, which is this kind of deadpan humor with this ensemble cast that have something different to bring to the table because they need each other. And that's what the original had. It had that charm of a team up of a mouthy person and a scientist and someone who was sort of a little bit paranoid. You get a little bit of that with these three characters. Not necessarily bit for bit, but at the very least, you have individualism that exists between Trevor, Phoebe, and Podcast, where they're all bringing something to the table that's relevant to today's culture, and it's relatable to today's audience. Whereas you watch 1984, and you'll get responses like, man, that guy's a creeper. I would not want to be around him. How dare he come into my apartment? And mess with my, you know, stuff in my fridge, you know. So I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it less than I wanted to, but my expectations became lower as the delay continued to happen. And so I took it for what it was. And I, if I had to sum up what I think it is, it's essentially a restarting of history for a new generation of ghostbusting and if that's what it claims to be then great i think it did its job really well i do too and i really did enjoy the heck out of it and so when i mentioned some criticism here that i'm going to throughout the entire episode it's just me being honest about pieces i didn't like but i was so pleasantly surprised by this movie and it's one that i would watch again and I can't say that about the others. Like, it is my favorite in the franchise. Now, I don't love, love any of them, but it is my favorite of the three. And, uh, well, sorry, I just don't count the other ones. <laughs> but yeah, it's because it's not canon anyway. Like, the, the female reboot was not considered canon. Ghostbusters 2, Reitman has come out and said specifically that, yes, it is. And it, it's kind of, it's minimally part of this when you talk about the, J.K. Simmons, I don't remember his name, Ivo, whatever. Like, there's little, there's nods that are there, but it's not hugely um, direct or piggybacking off of Ghostbusters 2. Anyway, what I was going to say about this whole Force Awakens thing, a big part of this is just such personal preference and personal fandom and, and connection to a series I loved The Force Awakens. Now, it took me a couple of viewings to get over the fan service that I thought was there the first time and the similarities to the point where I really felt like it was fresh enough 
and I fell completely in love with it for what it was. I don't see that happening with this, but I already had that affinity. Like the new hope was a five-star movie for me. So the movie that you're, you're copying some of is already a banger. Whereas Ghostbusters is not that for me. So you're copying something that I already wasn't super fond of. And the beats that you're copying are the parts that I didn't like the, you know, that I didn't care for. And so, or some of it. And so I think that plays into your feelings about how much it borrows. But while I say that, I also want to be clear here that we have to be honest when we throw that around. And I don't think you and I aren't being honest, but I do think the discourse can get so wrapped up in saying, in trying to condense this this conversation and saying, it's the same. It's just repeat of the other movie. In reality, it's not a repeat of all of the beats of the other movie because it is a sequel that is playing off of the other movie. So it is, it is following that story. <laughs> yes, parts of it play out in the very end in one section of the film, but it, it really is only that one section once Gozer comes back and you have the gatekeeper and the key master or whatever the heck they're called, the two dogs. And they are, you know, people that we know and they have to be rescued and Gozer comes out and you fight the same way. That little section is the exact same. Everything else about that is not. The setup is a follow on part of it. And I didn't, care for that as much but i understood it like it makes sense that you're fighting a god and that god is not completely gone because you didn't do your job completely and i actually thought that it allowed for some interesting innovations one of my favorite things in the movie is seeing the when we realized what the earthquake was and we learned that it was because egon had created because he's a scientific genius right he made this system where anytime that Gozer was trying to come out of this pit, there was like an automatic, you know, trigger that would go off and fire the packs and keep it back down. That was amazing to me. It was one of my favorite things about the whole movie. And so you wouldn't have gotten that if you didn't do that. And so I liked, I had no issue with the story being what it was. And I thought that it allowed for that emotional opening i think this is one a great opening of the film the way I that we get so it too. set up that yeah. awesome mystery i didn't know who it was until the character knew who it was i wasn't sure and the when you know as things are getting explained to us throughout the movie you know revealed slowly is okay it was egon okay here's what he was doing here's why he was here there's plenty of like detailed questions i could ask this is ghostbusters what is what are the rules of this universe? Like, how does Egon get to just stay as a ghost? Does everybody do get to do that? Where's everybody else that's died? Why are they not just stay sticking around? You know, Muncher and Slimer, characters like that. Are they ghosts? What are they? They're not humans that are dead. So where did they come from? Gozer, not a ghost. It's a god. Like, not even a ghost. So I mean, the movie has you got to. It's going to take some liberties, right? You got to just roll with it, and I'm okay to do that because it's fun. And as we learned about why the power unit was there and all the traps in the ground and, and that he was intentionally bringing Gozer back because he needed to have all this power to be able to catch. Brilliant. I loved all that stuff. And so I just think I'm getting kind of rambly, but the, the tangent is there's enough. It's a it's like The Force Awakens in that it does take something familiar, but it builds around it and upon it to let you have that hit of nostalgia while also, as you perfectly said, building a bridge to future installments. I left this movie thinking to myself, okay, that was cool. I'm okay with this. Didn't love the ending at all, but that's because that's I'm, I'm not a Ghostbusters guy and I can't understand why people would if they're Ghostbusters people. But what I really loved was McKenna Grace is amazing. I think she knocked this role out of the park. She's on my best youth performance list for, for SFCS at the end of the year for awards. I think she's great. Give me the future. Take these characters and let's go do something brand new with them. You established them. Now let's go tell a new story. And I'm I'm there. Day one, I'm all in. I, I would agree with you on a lot of what you're saying. And 
I look at Ghostbusters Afterlife the way I think a lot of fans of the 1984 film look at it, which is what it is. It's a love letter to Harold Ramis. Obviously, the end of the credits or the, the beginning, beginning of the end of the credits, it says for Harold. The moment that I saw that that was him, that, oh, he was the one that's bringing Gozer. I'm going, OK, he's going to be the anchor for this. And Aaron, there was a part of me who loves Harold Ramis to death as an actor. I think he is a a lost comedic actor because of his passing. We don't get to see a lot of his stuff. I mean, he was fantastic in Stripes. He was great in Ghostbusters. And there's this split that I felt as I'm watching this and I'm going, you're building a story around a guy who probably had the least amount of emotional connection in the original movie of any of the four. Now, the movie itself is a comedy. You know, Ghostbusters, the original property, is a comedy, and so is this to an extent. So I think what Reitman is doing here is noble. It's also risky because what you're doing this is my interpretation, is you're playing off of a fan's love of an actor and you're attaching that love to a character in a movie and building a story around that. And I was sucked in. I was connected. I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna live in this world for about two hours. So we get to the end and we see Egon's ghost. Obviously he doesn't talk. It's kind of like, I don't know if you know this, Rolf the dog doesn't talk anymore. The Muppet, he used to, you know, he used to talk. He doesn't talk anymore because of the passing of Jim Henson. I think Jim Henson voiced him. I can't remember. But if you if you watch any future, any recent Muppet movies, he never talks anymore. He just, he's there. And I felt that. I know that's a weird trivia, whatever. And maybe the three people that get that will say, yeah. Patch is a goat because he knows that. But that's what I felt when I watched the end of this movie. I was glad that we didn't get him talking because that would have felt really weird. We got a digitized version of him. He smiled. He hugged. And to me, that payoff was valid within the confines of Ghostbusters Afterlife. But I had real trouble reconciling that because Egon is not one of those characters that I would have in independently or initially attached emotion to i would not have connected with him again i don't think any of these guys really had that but of the four he's the least connected one that i had and so when you anchor a movie story with him and you see him you explain that he has gone bonkers and that he's trying to do this thing and that there's a rift between him and the other ghostbusters there's a dramatization that I don't quite buy. I understand it. And I understand that it's a, it's a mechanism to get us connected with all of these characters, with Callie, with Trevor, with Phoebe. But I still don't know that that's the best way to carry on a franchise. I think it's fine ultimately, but it feels a little bit like a cheat to me. And I think to me, that's, taking advantage of a person's emotion to an actor and playing almost too much on the nostalgia and fan service rather than really sinking your teeth deep into a story. Now, I can't tell you what that story would be or should be. So what we got, I'm completely fine with. I just know that it feels a little bit overly manipulated. And I say overly because every movie should manipulate you. That's why we watch movies. We go in there to be to be torn up, to be mad, to be happy, to go ecstatic, to get crazy emotions. But to me, this feels a little bit too much, like we're dipping into the real world and saying, you know what? We love Harold Ramis this much. Let's take his character and do these other things with it. And that felt a little wrong to me. Agreed. Wholeheartedly agreed. It worked emotionally for me within the context of just the character Egon in this movie and knowing what I knew of Egon from the first movie. I didn't realize Harold Ramis was dead. So until I saw For Harold and I was like, okay, now this starts to make sense to me. 
I had no idea because I don't follow Ghostbusters and, and I don't know that Harold Ramis was a huge actor, uh, you know, you know, pop popular wise, but I missed it. Whatever it was, I was not completely aware he was gone. So I was unsure why we were even tying this story to what was definitely not Ghostbuster number one in fandom. It was, you know, Ghostbuster number three, probably in fandom. But then the credits hit and I and it made sense to me. So I agree with you. I think the reason that we're able to walk out of it and not be bothered by it and be able to still enjoy the movie in spite of it and for it to still work on an emotional level is because the property is set up to handle something like this just naturally by way of the type of story that Ghostbusters is. It's a lot like Star Wars. We were talking about earlier with The Force Awakens, the Force Ghost concept has already been implemented. And so it allows you a natural way to do something like this that makes sense. If you just brought Egon back as a ghost in some other movie that Harold Ramis was a part of, you know, as a ghost or whatever, it's not going to make any sense. But it makes perfect sense that he would come back as a ghost in this film and play a role. Because in this universe that he's part of, that's the rules, right? That's that's kind of what it is. And so it works, even if it is a little manipulative. If you were to try and use the ghost of Paul Walker in a movie, the Fast and Furious movie, that doesn't work. You can't do things that way, right? And so you wouldn't have been able to handle it similarly. And I, so I think that there's truth to that. And I, my biggest concern with the movie is it's supposed to be a bridge to this future building of the franchise to take it and let it breathe and go be new. I think he's talked about having plans for the sequel already in the works. Like he's got a script. So you're doing that, but I feel like the bridge is pretty steep. If you're not a ghostbusters person yet, I think they did a, a good enough job. And I think that the script helps. I think setting it in the modern world they do a solid enough or they make a good attempt at reintroducing the type of materials and the gear like the trap and kind of slowly explaining what it is because we get to walk through it with the kids as they're learning about some of these things. There are pieces of it that they don't really go into much explanation about. If you're watching this brand new and they're crossing the streams, you're not going to catch you have no clue why that matters. And why it matters that it doesn't work, <laughs> you know, this time. So there's a lot of stuff that you're not going to necessarily pick up on. But I struggled to find anything that I thought was deal breaking in the movie. I thought you could get by not having a, a history with the franchise. But it certainly is better if you do as that nostalgia bomb that we talk about so often. And so I think that they did a, a really good job with it. I mean, I think it could have been a whole lot worse. And I really do hope that we leave the Ghostbusters behind, the OG Ghostbusters. Because for me, Patrick, the worst part of the movie was the ending. When we So when we get to the point where Gozer is back and we're recreating the scenes literally from New York and the top of the building, that was not enjoyable to me at all. In the, not in the slightest. Like, I don't care if your visuals look a little better. Your explosions are neater. You know, I was like, this is boring. You're doing nothing new. And then when the quote new happens and it's the Ghostbusters showing up, I thought it was so overblown cheesy. I mean, there's no nuance to the way they bring them back at all. And I just thought, I you know, you're really pouring it on here. And I wanted the kids to do it all themselves, you know, and then maybe they tell the Ghostbusters what happens. And I understand that they got to show up, I guess, but it just, it really was difficult for me to love the way the movie ended because it was such a nostalgic bomb all at once. Like it just blew it all up right in your face and, and forced you 
to take it all down. And we had to kind of highlight each guy and make sure that he got a specific line to say so he could have his moment as one of the OG Ghostbusters to remind us that they're part of this world. I loved the subtle uh, um, references to them or the mentions of them or, you know, the way that they were talked about in passing and in historically from other characters throughout the film. I thought that that was really cool. But then when they showed up, yeah, it's it's just a it's going to always be a very tough thing to accomplish. And I'm super nervous about Top Gun Maverick for this very reason, because I just, you know, I, I, you got to people want this. People pay for this. People say with their money over and over and over that they love this stuff. And so that's why Hollywood keeps giving it to us. I look at, yeah, I look at that last scene and I agree with you for the most part. As someone who likes the original Ghostbusters, it was fun seeing them on the screen. But in a lot of ways, this harkened back to F9 in a way of bringing back these characters that would have been fine to address in passing. For instance, I thought the scene with Ray was really good. I think I thought it made sense for Phoebe to find the phone number on the internet, you know, from the original commercial call. Now, why it goes to raise a cult instead of to the Ghostbusters hotline? Because <laughs> I don't know if you just kept your phone number. I don't know if that made sense. But he picks up the phone and he gives us a little bit of exposition on why they're no longer together. What happened? And I thought that was really good. I Leaving it well. at that. Leaving it at that, I think, would have been fantastic. And then if you build on that universe and you incorporate Bill Murray here and there or incorporate Winston in a way that makes sense based off of the information that you're given from this original, I think it would pay tribute in a way that feels less forced, less nostalgic, and more like, yeah, in a world where Ghostbusters actually exists, in a world where New York was, the events of New York really happened it would make sense to see these guys because honestly their eldership, how old they are does not make me think they could pick up proton packs and do what they do. I mean, they are in their seventies or sixties. I don't know how old these guys are, but they are not young. They look old. Bill Murray looks old. Winston, I think is, is the only character that looks healthy. That looks like he's a, an eight, you know, a healthy aging adult, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with these guys looking old, but it's almost as if you're parading them around like some has-beens, like some old-timey baseball player in their original Yankee pinstripes, but they just look awful because they don't need to be there. And in some ways, paying homage to them. The risk for me is that you make them look ridiculous. You make you make them look less than who they are. To me, the Ghostbusters will always exist in that 1984-1987 universe, and they will have retired. Don't put a uniform on them. Don't put a proton pack in their hands. Use them in some ways that make more sense and let the kids, let this new generation of potential Ghostbusters take over. Not because they can't or they're unable to but it's like thinking about the character rocky getting back in the ring i mean the premise of rocky balboa was like really you want to actually get back in the ring and the realism of him getting back in the ring and doing what he did was faced with limitations those were communicated i'm not saying that needs to happen here what i'm saying is that you have these old characters from almost 30 years ago who are trying to do something that they shouldn't be able to do and so the within this world there's a level of realism that has to exist and to me that just didn't work for me it, it became very goofy to a point where you've lavished on the action and the drama with a good chunk of comedy and you've almost traded that for let's put these guys on screen because we know people are going to want to see them in their outfits with their proton packs, giving us the fun one-liners. And I didn't want that. I didn't want that at all. So to see that felt was like, okay, I guess we're just going to retread New York. Fine. 
is Ray going to think about the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man again? He probably is. And, you know, you've got, you've got Vinkman's going to say something just stupid to, to Zool. And it's just, eh, it didn't work for me at all. What I did like, Aaron, was the resolution that we got with Egon and his kids being able to embrace his children and letting that be finality. So what I want is what you want. I want that to be the end. I want us to live in the world where these kids potentially become the new Ghostbusters or whatever happens. And we talk about these characters in passing. We can refer back to them. We can put a crunch bar in someone's pocket, like what we found in Egon's jumpsuit. We can do those things. That's totally fine. But let's just not bring these original characters back. They've had their day in the sun, and now the sun is scorching them where their skin looks like prunes. You know, it's just really not necessary for the sake of this new world that we're living in. No, and it it doesn't make any sense realistically either, but we're in a fantasy universe. I mean, the reality here is that outside of the creation of the tech, there's nothing that makes you a Ghostbuster other than you're the person with the thing in your hand. Like, that's it. There's no special skill that it takes to be a Ghostbuster. <laughs> These guys are not, and that's part of the draw and the appeal of them, you know, in going back into the original stories were that they were kind of goofy dudes. They just were like every men. They weren't, you know, big and strong, and they weren't necessarily all the smartest. I mean, obviously Egon is, but you just they were just guys who believed in a thing and then were able to go out and have the desire to go do it and i mean part of it was motivated by a desire for fame and money as much as it was for maybe cleaning up the city and doing good but they had that they had that underlying heart to them and that remains in this and i appreciate that but yeah i mean there's no legitimate reason why they need to be the ones to show up i mean it's weird kind of that there's no like 20-something years later, there's no army hasn't co-opted this tech. The government hasn't taken it over after New York. Like, if we really are going to talk about this as a historical continuation of what happened, well, like, come on. But, yes, take it forward. Make it the new Stranger Things. One of the things I didn't love was, and and this is not a dislike, this is just kind of a surprising thing to me, is that Finn Wolfhard is like top build in this movie. In fact, I want to say other than Carrie Coon, he might be number one on all of the posters and all that. Like he's a one of the biggest names they were promoting. I thought he was the most boring character ever. He didn't add anything to this for me at all. And I was kind of saddened by that. Like outside of just being there to be the kind of cliche, oh, hey, I'm in a new place. I want to flirt with the girl. And, you know, very, very teenage kind of story subplot to this he just didn't add any sort of unique value to the squad <laughs> as it were you know podcast did and mckenna grace just blew everybody away because she was such an awesome character and she was performed so well so i, I would love to see going forward take was in trevor in the movie yeah it's trevor right like take trevor and give trevor some character development like maybe even acknowledge his boring demeanor and doesn't have a lot to do in the first movie and build on that to give him a role that is incredibly important as part of a you know a team that has come together to take on this job so there's so much potential here to go forward and for once i'm like yes i really do want more and i hope that they can do that because i think the kids are great and i think that you have talented actors you have created the framework for a set of potential new Ghostbusters that can be awesome. I do wonder how they're going to handle it since they're kind of young still. So they're not really shouldn't be able to just strike out on their own. You know, maybe we jump a couple years forward and they're 18 in college at the next point or something might be the way to go. But I, I do love just how much of a family vibe this has to it as well it's for everybody right it is for adults it is for kids i was able to take my child people were able to take their younger kids to it 
it's never too scary. I actually like that about it. So there's a couple of jump scares, but the mostly it's not. You know, Muncher's not scary at all. Muncher's hilarious in the same way Slimer was hilarious. The I think there's maybe one really, really R moment. Um, there's the, you know, kind of spooky stuff, and then there's the the opening sequence can be a little bit scary, but really it's fairly tame for a movie about the supernatural. Yeah, it it really does have that family vibe to it. I walked out of it feeling like that felt very 80s to me. It felt like very 80s horror, 80s like terror, you could call it. 80s suspense would be the, the way to go. It felt like Ghostbusters, honestly. It felt like it was just enough scary to kind of get you thinking, ooh, but not too much where you're like going to bed having nightmares about it by any means. And honestly, the the kid aspect of it, the kid-driven cast really helped that. I honestly believe, Aaron, if we didn't have Stranger Things in our world, Ghostbusters Afterlife may not have been as successful as it has been. Because what you have is this realization that kids can be innovative. I'm not saying that the kids in Stranger Things are necessarily like all geniuses, but there's innovation in what they do. In the little bit that I've seen, and I confess I've not seen the series, I've watched maybe half of the first season because Winona Ryder just kind of gets on my nerves. But what we see is this really interesting smart vibe where you have young kids that are innovative. They are able to kind of figure the tech out fairly quickly. This is Gen Z, Gen the iGen, whatever we're calling these guys now. It's it's a new generation of kids that grow up on iPhones and they grow up on smart technology that we didn't. And so there's an expectation as this four-year-old guy in me that says, no way, she doesn't know all that. Well, sure, she absolutely could. Phoebe could absolutely know all these things. It's played for laughs, especially between her and, and Gruberson. Paul Rudd actually looks older than he is. I think he actually looks his actual age in this movie with his beard and whatnot. But when you watch these kids talk and you watch them interact, that was a struggle for me initially, but it would have been more of a struggle had this movie come out maybe six, seven years ago where we didn't have that primer of Stranger Things. And obviously, Finn Wolfhead being the main character in that cast, that's a great little connecting piece. Having, you know, even the, the reboot of Stephen King's It the i guess the theatrical real release of, of stephen king's it brought more of that home with this cast of kids in the 80s trying to figure out and solve a problem this harkened back to movies like goonies where you had young kids needing to discover and needing to really trying to figure things out so watching these these guys go through the motions of discovering the proton pack discovering the EKG meter and seeing what it does. It really sets up a bigger universe where as they get older, they're going to learn more. If this is the first of a new series of movies, maybe the next movie takes place two years from now, giving these actors a chance to grow up a little bit more. And then it allows us to sort of play into that and say, here we are. These kids are older now. They've been with this technology for a couple of years now. Maybe they've gotten some help from, from Winston or somebody else. And they can actually have realistic adventures as Ghostbusters. We got hints of that, obviously, in this movie with Ecto-1 being driven with the gunner seat. Those are things that I thought were a lot of fun to watch. I love Hard the remote control trap. The remote control trap. Yes was awesome innovation like moving it forward into the 21st century the little flap mm -hmm. that comes down the car that was just super cool right and you see these things i still have a the adult in me has a hard time picturing kids with proton packs and being able to fire these guns but then i have to reach back into my 1980s head and go these things don't exist and so in this world where adults are picking these things up adults that really don't have any business holding them kids can do it too so i think it was actually a really great move to reintroduce the world of ghostbusters via kids or i say young adults you know 13 14 15 years old 
and really establishing them as the new primer because it well, one it creates longevity so let's say you were to create a universe around these actors now you have a shelf life of at least 10 years where these guys can probably do a couple of more movies it would make sense they're growing with the with the characters themselves you're not having to have an expiration date on their acting capabilities plus it opens up the universe to say well do they have to stay in one city or do they have to stay in america what if you had different cultural ghosts like there's some crazy stuff going down in mexico with the old aztec ruins or whatever these are things that you could actually have fun adventures with them and then it can turn into almost like an anthology like mission impossible so i think there's a lot here and i think you could expand the the cast to include more kids you know, obviously bringing in uh, Callie and Gruberson in some capacity to uh, to assist. But I think having kids there, it, it really it quite literally and metaphorically brings a younger type of flavor to the franchise, which I think is necessary because it doesn't feel like an old property. It feels like a, a young, a new, a fresh property with that. Yep, 100% agree. Just keep keep innovating on it. Bring new tech into it you've got to expand upon it so we have mckenna grace's character i keep forgetting her name in the movie i'm very sorry phoebe phoebe we have phoebes and her character (laughs) she's brilliant right like i want to see her having spent the next couple years before the next movie is set taking the technology that her grandfather had crafted and improving on it for the 21st century bringing it into you know new elements and with new things like the remote control trap and such and that's what would excite me about a future entry as much as whatever ghosts they end up fighting against is how do you take the concept and push it a little bit forward and bring it more modern even instead of relying so much on us just being excited to see this stuff again that we already saw once before now show us new stuff it's also funny how they typecast. I agree with you on the Stranger Things comment because the characters are so similar to the kids in that show. And Paul Rudd and his entire existence in this movie, I 100% believe it is, he's, he's Scott Lang in this movie. He's Scott Lang. He's playing Ant-Man, but he's just not Ant-Man. You know what I mean? And so it's because he does that. He did that so well. They were like, hey, just do that here for us. It'll fit in this movie too. And it did, and he was hilarious. And we love him for it, but it is such a similar, it's like Ryan Reynolds. You know, I mean, Ryan Reynolds does it in every movie, whether you should or not, but you just take his Deadpool and you just kind of transport him everywhere you go. But that was similar to what Scott Lang was felt like he was in this movie. And it was cool. Carrie Coon, however, I think was awesome. I have never seen her in something that was this much of like a comedy. I've seen her in a very, very heavy drama a couple years ago or last year that she was phenomenal in. And it was like a tear your heart out, like painful kind of heartbreaking emotional experience. And she was amazing. But I this was all crazy new for me, for her. Um, really showed her range. So I would love to see her come back as well and continue that on and i I, you know i like some of the stuff in here too the the way that we brought the stay puff man into this movie i think was brilliant because i laughed so hard and the theater was just erupting if you're going to do something that is such a direct riff on your previous movie making it into the small marshmallow guys was a good way to do it. The opening in particular, I mean, it, I think it went on too long. They, they just drug it out, which movies tend to do um, for uh, just way more of the climax than they needed to. But that opening scene in the in Walmart or whatever, when they start killing each other, I that may be the hardest I've laughed all year in a single point of a movie. I could not hold it together, Patrick. I, I was literally like choking for breath because it was so freaking funny. I thought so too. And it's 
you you got people in the in the audience. This is a, my nine thirty show, and people were doing the same thing. I mean, it was just really, really funny, and it was really subtle too. I, I love the fact that it takes place in a Walmart. Yes, Walmart is going to stock Stay Puft marshmallows. In fact, I think I went there today, and I just kind of looked over in the baking aisle to see do they have some looking stuff? over your shoulder like, yeah, I was, like wait, what was that was that sound that <laughs> is there a s'more coming to get me <laughs> i think the other thing that i love is that the you know ecto one is a lot like gotham city it's a lot like the batmobile it's another character in and of itself and what i think makes ghostbusters afterlife such a great extension or a great new chapter in the ghostbusters universe is that there were logical upgrades made to the tech so you mentioned the rover, the remote control trap, the fact that Ecto-1 had these other upgrades attached to it, like the gunner seat, the the way that Winston looks at Ecto-1 near the end and says, what did they do to you, my baby girl? Because you know that from the original property, he loved that car and he loved driving it. And it in and of itself is such a fantastic character because it's got so much personality. I've got a little transformer on my office desk at work that is Ecto-1, and I have yet to transform it because Ecto-1 looks just looks so cool. And so I'm glad that... I made that, a pop figure of it, by the way, for this movie. It's got Trevor Ecto-1. driving driving it. He's got Trevor's little head. He's driving it. Yeah. Oh, I was going to send it to you, but I was afraid uh, that it might... I might be... <laughs> That that might be that might be a misinterpretation right there. I, I don't know if that was Ecto One. No, I don't know about that. But I think that in terms of tech, there was a great balance of nostalgia and upgrades. Like I don't feel like anything was really thrown in there for just nostalgia purposes in terms of the technology. So I'm excited to see if there's an extension of that. And if you've watched the movie, if you stayed past the mid credit scene and you watch the end credit scene, there is a hint that there could be more of this in store. Winston seems to be the financial provider. The end credit scene opens up with, I guess, the old firehouse, which I'm not sure I get this because from what the movie tells us, the old firehouse became a Starbucks. So I don't know if there was a new firehouse that was purchased and now we have the the trap mechanism the red what i call the red machine that's been reactivated ecto-1 is being restored where does the franchise go from here based off of that and i'm kind of asking that directly if you can't answer it if you're saying i don't know i'm, I'm kind of in the i don't know camp because that seems a little bit backwards i'd rather not have seen that honestly but what do you think? I hate it. If you are, MCU has ruined people. They have ruined people because everyone wants to be a copycat and put these little scenes in there. As I just mentioned, this movie has not been optioned for a sequel yet. Reitman was like hopeful. He's like, yeah, I, I th- I'd love to do more. I've got some ideas. Okay, then why are you teasing anything? Like you don't, This is, it goes back to that, Patrick, we've ranted about this, I feel like, the last several episodes, or maybe their future episode. No, they'll all be out by the time this is out. It's weird. We've recorded some things out of order, folks, and so I don't know what I'm referencing, if it's correct. Anyway, Patrick and I have ranted a little bit recently about storytelling that is like serial television, where you're just kind of winging it an episode at a time. You don't write yourself into a corner by teasing things that may not be the way you want your story to go. And so, yeah, I I wish it hadn't been there. Admittedly, I didn't see the final scene. In fact, I wasn't even aware of it until you told me about it. But I read a very detailed explanation of it. And I think it would have been fine if they know exactly what they're planning on doing with that. And maybe they do. I don't know. Maybe it, no matter what his story direction goes, he has a plan that's going to be built off of that scene. And that's fine. But I don't like it because it feels to me like it shoehorns in a ghost that's already been caught is going to get out and they're going to have to go fix the mistake that already existed, which to me is nowhere near as interesting and just becomes a repeat of the the starter point of a story that we've already seen several times before. 
I would love to see what you just did, which was go globetrotting or deal with something somewhere else that has come up that is completely new and fresh. And so, you know, whatever, I'm not going to hold it against it. It just, it doesn't do anything for me at all. It doesn't get me excited because of the specific scene. I've already mentioned what makes me excited in general about being one to see the franchise go forward. That last scene had nothing to do with the things that I want more of. So, <laughs> you know, if anything, it was kind of like scary, but I think it'll be fine. I did love the mid credit scene. I wanted to say I thought that was amazing because one of my biggest problems was Vinkman's character in Ghostbusters 1 and 2. And this felt like an acknowledgement that they understand that and they were having a little fun with getting back at him. And it was just really, really cool to see a franchise understand that maybe something in the past doesn't work as well these days and maybe it wasn't good then too and it's a fun nod and a lot of you know the enjoyment comes both from getting to see it kind of reversed on him but also just getting to see him and Sigourney Weaver back together for a few moments everybody would want that and I love that they put that in the mid credit scene instead of trying to shoehorn it into the movie so that was great well they I imagine they they saw that as a as a true fan service let's let's not use that as part of the plot let's not pull people out just for the sake of having a, a fun moment so spot on with that i also want to acknowledge that i thought celeste o'connor was fantastic as lucky she reminds me a lot of zendaya's character in spider-man homecoming as mj just that great kind of deadpan snarky friend of uh, of trevor's that just sort of acknowledges like for instance he's in the restaurant and he's doing inventory on the burgers and he's freezing to death and she makes the comment you look cold and he's like i'm fine she's like take my hoodie it's masculine it's got an eagle on the back and so there's this really great kind of chemistry between the two of them where you can tell that he likes her she knows that he likes her but she's not necessarily wanting that but she's gonna have some fun with it i thought that was really cool so if trevor had any purpose in the movie for me it was fun banter with him and Lucky, I hope that she comes around for any sequels. I think she'd be a fantastic addition to the cast. I also enjoyed seeing Annie Potts as Janine, albeit a little less quirky than she was in the original property. So that was fun for me. I, I really enjoy seeing her in that. Anything else before we close it out? No, she's perfect because it's like she's there for one scene. You know, she's it's in. You get your little nostalgic hit. You're like. <gasps> I know her. That was cute. One or two little lines that it can reference. And then she's gone. Like, that's the kind of stuff I like, I think is a perfect way to bring nostalgia back. Uh, but no, I think that pretty much covers everything. I'm hopeful. I really am. I think that the potential is there. And this didn't completely ruin that for me at all. And I am excited for it because I've said it so many times. The concept kicks butt it is so cool use it it could be a franchise it could you could have three four more movies built off of this you can have your toys and make your marketing money up back and all of these things that you're going to want to do because you're hollywood and that's what you care about and give us fun entertaining family friendly content in an adventure fantasy world like yes please so I hope that the response is good. So far, it's looked like it. The box office seems to be trending really well. And I, I just hope that continues. I do as well. So Jason Reitman, if you are listening, you've heard it from us. Go forth and prosper, my friend. We will be two people. In you have our blessing. Point. You may yes. proceed. <laughs> just giving you the official Ghostbusters blessing here to sign off there. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us, Aaron. This was a great conversation. We hope that you've enjoyed listening. We hope that you enjoyed the movie. Because if you had not seen the movie and you're listening to this conversation, shame on you. But if you have anything else to say, if you want to clap back at us or you want to defend or just, well, please don't slam it. I mean, that's not what we're about. I mean, we're about keeping things positive back here. Come to our Facebook group, group excuse me, group, group, did I say group? Come to our Facebook group or to our Discord channel. There's a lot of good conversation going on at both places. In the meantime, Aaron, thank you for this conversation and we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show. 
grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.